Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Hey, songwriter, if you want to write a song about a face, think about a photograph that you really can't remember, but you can't erase. Wash your hands in dreams and lightning, cut off your hair and whatever is frightening. Paul Simon, write a song about the moon 1983 from his album Hearts and Bones. Seemed relevant this week. I always feel that there's a connection between music and photography. But I'm also always interested in where photography is going. You'll also be aware, of course, if you listen to the podcast, that I'm very interested in where photography has been and where it is today. But to me, where it is going points to a future for all of us. I can guarantee, however, that when I start talking about computational photography, AI or VR or anything else to do with that potential future for visual image making, most photographers tend to turn off and are really very interesting. But I saw an article this week, which is pretty grim, but it points to somewhere where photography is perhaps going. It's maybe not something that you would perceive to be photography, but maybe it's a starting point for some discussion or some thought. Anyway, the article was in The Guardian, and I'm going to read it to you because I want to make sure that I get all of the facts correct as they were published. So it said this, Ukraine is using facial recognition software to help identify the bodies of Russian soldiers killed in combat and track down their families to inform them of their deaths, Ukraine's vice prime minister told the Reuters news service. Mikhailo Fedorov, Ukraine's vice prime minister, who also runs the Ministry of Digital Transformation, told Reuters his country had been using software facial recognition provider Clearview AI to find the social media accounts of dead Russian soldiers. As a courtesy to the mothers of these soldiers, we are disseminating this information over social media to at least let families know that they've lost their sons and to them, I should say, and to then enable them to come to collect their bodies. Fedorov said in an interview speaking via a translator. Ukraine's Ministry of Defence this month began using technology from Clearview, which scrapes images on the web to match with faces featured in uploaded photos. Reuters first reported Ukraine's use of Clearview earlier this month, but it was not clear at that time how the technology would be used. Clearview offered its service free of charge to Ukraine after the Russian invasion and has said its search engine includes more than 2 billion images from Vkontakte, a popular Russian social media service. Vkontakte did not respond to a request for comment. A New York-based software company, Clearview AI, has sparked criticism over its privacy practices from users and authorities around the world. Just this month, Italy fined the company €2 million for violating EU consumer privacy laws and ordered the company to delete all its data on Italian residents. Earlier, both the UK Information Commissioner Office and authorities in France demanded that Clearview AI stopped processing all user data. 
The company is also battling a lawsuit in US federal court in Chicago filed by consumers, excuse, consumers I should say, under the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act. The ongoing case concerns whether the company's gathering of images from the internet violated privacy law. Clearview has said its actions have been legal and that its face matches should only be a starting point in investigations. Several reports have also raised questions about the technology's reliability. Studies have shown that facial recognition software often fails to identify black and brown faces and can introduce biases in policing. Clearview has disputed such assertions. Richard Bassard, head of the Forensic Medicine Department at Monash University in Australia, said facial recognition can be unreliable when used to identify the dead and that fingerprints, dental records and DNA remain the most common ways of confirming someone's identity. It may not seem like photography, but I think it is. Whilst we're talking about photography-related issues and things I've seen over the last week online, I wanted to uh, just talk a little bit about paid-for photographic workshops, residential ones, not just the ones where a group of friends or a group of like-minded people come together, uh, maybe uh, camping or at low price, maybe locally, maybe nationally. What I'm talking about here are those big international blockbuster events. And I saw an advert come up for one uh, recently, and it really made me think about where we are with these, what kind of person goes on them, what kind of person can afford to go on them. And also, I suppose in a way, are they appropriate for the photographer that's leading them? Anyway, what I saw was this, and I have to say I'm a big fan of this photographer's work that I'm going to mention because they are associated with this and they've advertised it, so they're obviously very happy to be associated with it. Anyway, the copy on the advertisement reads this. Visit the Yemeni island of Socotra and capture the beauty and the bizarre on camera guided by landscape photographer Simon Norfolk. In this bespoke itinerary, we will travel across the island with Simon, experimenting and refining our photography techniques in front of extraordinary subject matter. Socotra's unusual dragons, blood trees, white beaches, turquoise waters and jagged mountains. The total price for the eight-day trip is $5,890. Flights from Abu Dhabi return and visa for Socotra are additional to that $5,890. We interview all those that apply to join the trip. Once selected, participants will be required to pay a non-refundable 20% deposit of $1,180 to secure their place on the trip. Payment of the balance and flights and visa costs will then be due 60 days prior to departure. Now, I'd love to spend some time with Simon and working with him. I have to say, 
I do think it's uh, slightly um, dumbing down uh, Simon's work by describing him just as a landscape photographer. I think he's much more than that. I think his work is much broader. But anyway, I suppose what we have to talk about here is what is that interview process by which you are judged that you are the right person to go on this trip? Surely you're the right person to go on this trip if you can spend and spare over $6,000 to go and make photographs with Simon. I completely understand why Simon would want to be involved with it. But at the same time, it does raise a number of questions about this kind of trip, whether it's appropriate for where photography is today and where we are today photographically, economically and socially. Surely only one type of person is going to be chosen to go on that trip and that's the one who can afford it. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to him in under five minutes, William Saunders. Saunders grew up in the small town of Sisters, Oregon, with a population of just 2,000 people. He states that half of the folks were hippies and the other half were cowboys. We all got along and inspired each other. And thinks that this is where a lot of his Americana inspiration comes from. He never picked up a camera until he was 19 or 20 years old in college. A journalism professor randomly found out about his background in the outdoors and convinced him on the spot to try out photography. He made the switch to photojournalism in his sophomore year and madly fell in love with the art of making pictures and telling stories through the medium. After college, he assisted the director, Tim Kempel, full-time for two years, travelling the world making pictures for high-end outdoor clients. After two years, he went solo, working freelance for brands such as North Face, Under Armour and Patagonia. Saunders' images appear in magazines such as Outside Magazine, The Surfer's Journal and The Ski Journal. He is currently based in Utah and is the overall winner of the Red Bull Illumi 2021 photo contest. Photography for me means living in all aspects. I really do believe this tool to capture images has completely fired uh, my soul and uh it brings me so much joy, but also so much curiosity towards the world. All of a sudden, everyone is interesting to me. I want to know about their life, about their story. Um, it allows me to keep up with um, information and kind of always be gathering it. And just whether I photograph that story or not, I have still learned something. And it was because photography kind of fueled that fire. I never really started photography until I was 20 years old in college. And before that, you know, I had many hobbies, but the second I picked up a camera and started figuring out how to tell stories through multiple images and create a powerful photograph, I was completely obsessed and I couldn't stop. Everything seemed interesting to me. And it was amazing that I could use this tool, the camera, to create a frame that really excited my mind. And I honestly had zero care if anyone else liked it. It was just something that like really triggered something in my mind that got me so fired up to make more and more pictures and make them, you know, more artistic and more with my own style. 
And then, you know, from there it dove into how can I tell a story that has impact or something that could inspire someone, you know, and that started with me being um, fairly deep in the outdoor industry. I wanted to go and tell stories of uh, my friends who are athletes doing their expeditions all around the world, climbing big walls, you know, in the Middle East or putting up new ski mountaineering routes in the Himalaya. Photography was this thing that I would never normally go to these places, but this tool allowed me to go there and be a part of those expeditions. And there's nothing um, that means more to me than being able to be a part of these moments in other people's lives that mean so much to them. Thank you, William, for your contribution this week. Fantastic to hear your passion, your excitement and your engagement with the medium. I have to say that my youngest daughter is a very keen climber, uh, really was inspired by seeing your pictures. And as you know, regular listeners will know, uh, Florence is a is a tough mistress to please when it comes to photography. But anyway, one of the things I wanted to talk about also this week was a thank you to all of the support I've received and all of the positive comments about last week's podcast, which included five of my graduates from the Oxford Brooks photography course that I lead. Um, I think what was really fantastic was how many of you were moved by the passion and the intensity, really, of the contributions by the students. It really does make me feel that photography is in good hands when people are as committed to the medium as they are. However, just at the other end of the spectrum over the last couple of weeks, for some reason, I've received a number of quite unpleasant comments and actually also direct messages as responses to some of the articles that I've been writing on the UnitedNationsOfPhotography.com website. For some reason, I've really been inspired recently to write a lot of little short form um, articles, comments, I suppose, little questions raised in my mind that I felt that I wanted to share with a broader audience. As always, they're based on my personal experience. They are opinions. Uh, They may be opinions which I feel are strongly held because they're based on actual uh, realities. They're based on experience, as I say, things that have happened, things that I've heard said. They're never made up and they're never created as some kind of a clickbait to get um, clicks, you know, to get people to uh, come to the website. I don't need to do that. I don't make any money out of doing that. And in fact, this whole kind of United Nations of Photography thing comes out of around £800 a year for me just to run it. And that all comes straight out of my pocket. Not an issue at all. I enjoy doing it. But therefore, I don't need to prove that people are coming to the site to anybody. But let's get back to those comments. So these comments I've been receiving have all been from a similar demographic. And as a uh, man in my late 50s who has been involved with photography for a very, very long time now, probably 35, 36 years, something like that, maybe even longer. Uh, I suppose I could include myself in that demographic because the comments I've been getting are from men who seem to be really upset about the things I'm saying. 
And I wonder why that is. Is it that certain photographers get to an age where they start to become resentful of the new? Do they become resentful of the fact that perhaps discussions which occurred 20, 30 years ago come back up again because they're still relevant? Not because they're being rehashed or somebody's being lazy, just because they're relevant. It's a little bit like listening to music and thinking that all new music has nothing to offer because everything has been done before and this is just a rehash of what was once done by someone else. I know sometimes I'm really guilty of that in listening to a piece of music and thinking, yeah, that sounds just like them or that sounds just like them. I don't think that that new music is invalid because of that. What I think is, well, that's kind of interesting that they were informed by that work. I think it's really great that people know about the history of things. But sometimes it can be done without even any knowledge of that history. So... A real shame that um, some very well-respected figures in the world of photography have felt the need to contact me in such an aggressive way. What I've decided to do is just put it down to experience as always. I can't be bullied. I never have been bullied and I have no time for bullies. And that raises another point, which is I've just written an article on unitednationsofphotography.com, which is about the fact that we do not need bullies in photography. And that's bullies of any type. You might want to check that one out alongside some of the other articles I've been writing over the last few weeks. I think also what might be useful is to sign up for our newsletter, which you can do via our Twitter feed at UN of Photo. And then every Wednesday, you'll be told that this podcast has gone live. And also you'll be given links to all of the new articles that have gone up on the website that week, as well as a few links to some older articles that are in our archive that you may not be aware of. Really, what we're talking about there, I suppose, is keeping informed. Speaking of which, I'll be uh, doing some talks over the month of June, a couple of talks with the Royal Photographic Society, which I will be giving you information about. Uh, the first one is an UK time evening talk, which will be available via Zoom. The other one uh, will be a physical face-to-face -face talk, which I think is a, towards the end of June. I think that's a Saturday afternoon. Uh, in addition to that, kind of interestingly, I've been asked to go onto another podcast, uh, Neil James's Photography Daily, and uh, he's asked to uh, interview me and go, we're going to go for a photographic walk. Not something I ever really do, to be honest. Um, I tend to walk on the basis that I've got somewhere to go to, not just for the idea of uh, taking photograph or photographs or making photographs, but that should be interesting. And that's also happening, I think, at the beginning of June. So I'll keep you informed as to when that goes live, because I'll be talking a little bit about the stuff I don't usually talk about, I think, on this podcast. I don't know what he's going to ask me. Whatever he asks is fine with me. I never have a problem with answering questions or also being challenged. And I think that's what we're all in the process of being every week is challenged. So the most important thing as I end every episode every week is just to take care.